Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, and the library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. They can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel, so please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For the listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, mode stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, I'll have an upcoming free caregiver distress recovery challenge, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much-needed self-care into their daily routine. It will feature Empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter, and teaches strategies from my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. Strategies that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey will find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. It will be available once again in the near future on a new platform. My latest book is Think Big, which was released May 17th on Amazon. It features my story and my big vision about how to shift our ideas about aging and older adults and the value they have in society and in our lives. I'm very proud to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob Bodine, and many others. The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you'll grab a copy on Amazon. The many stories included in the book can inspire and motivate you in your business, and positively impact your own personal development and growth. My book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences across the country. I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book, so I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I appreciate your support, and I hope you'll spread the word on this all-important topic. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners 
informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, who has been a tireless advocate for better nursing home care for the millions of people in our nation's nursing homes. She's been doing it for decades. Based in Arkansas, her advocacy extends across the country, and she has been called upon for her insight and knowledge by every major journalist in the country. She's worked with the Federal Government Accountability Office, the Office of the Inspector General, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and has been honored not only by the governor of Arkansas, but has received a commendation for her tireless advocacy from the FBI. For three years, she supplied information and data to an organization that provides consumer reports regarding health issues which resulted in consumer reports releasing one of the most in-depth looks at America's nursing homes to date. She's president of the Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents. So I'm beyond proud to introduce as my guest today, Martha Deaver. Welcome, Martha. I'm so glad you had the time to be with me today. I'm thrilled to be talking with you. And... Um, you know, as we get into the conversation, I wanted to um, I wanted to just tell you a little bit about something that I saw the other day on LinkedIn, and I think it's a perfect lead-in to this conversation. So it was somebody who posted that they were interested in finding out if people were led to this space, advocacy and um, caring about the care for older people because of their grandparents. So I responded mm -hmm. that that actually is, I believe, the through line. I've written about it in previous books and I talk about it readily. I believe that was the through line for me. But what I said uh, in this response also was that I believe that most people who come to this space are brought to it because of something that happened, not necessarily with their grandparents, but it could be a loved one or, or a friend or somebody close to them. So I know that uh, in reading about you, then it had to do with your mother and mother-in-law. And I thought that you might want to tell the listeners a little bit about that. So they have an understanding about what brought you to this space. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Phyllis. Uh, yes, I've been advocating voluntarily for almost 30 years. Uh, over 20 years ago, uh, my mother had a stroke, and uh, we admitted her into a nursing home for rehab. Uh, during this time, uh, I guess for a lack of better of a better description, uh, it didn't take long for me to start understanding that uh, I had to educate myself real, real fast to save my mother, uh, to protect her, and to make sure she got the rehab and the care she deserved very quickly. Uh, as I did that, uh, obviously, there were issues that came up that uh, were very detrimental to my to my mother's health before I ever had any idea that a healthcare facility could actually uh, be so incompetent and uh, and be so harmful to residents. Uh, 
you know, they, they gave her the wrong medications repeatedly. And when something like that happens, you generally do not find out uh, until it's too late. That put mm-hmm. her in ICU uh, for two weeks when she went into respiratory failure. Um, my mother uh, was given the wrong anti-seizure medication three times a day and culminating in her having grand mal seizures uh, repeatedly. Uh, there are very, very serious bed sores that also occurred, uh, started occurring, and uh, to get treatment for them and to protect her was a all-out war. Uh, my mother-in-law was also found, who I was also uh, guardian of in this facility, was also in the facility for treatment, and uh, she was found in bed with a fist-sized bruise uh, on her chest. Uh, the the abuses that occurred to my mother and mother-in-law are on our website. Uh, the story of this horrific situation uh, and then how my mother ended up being trans- I transferred her to another facility trying to get better care, and uh, that facility also uh, was making deadly uh, medication errors over and over and over, and that's when uh, I turned them in, and there was an investigation, and they were fined thousands and thousands of dollars for not having a mm-hmm. system in place for documenting or giving the residents in that nursing home uh, their medications. And that's when they, uh, it's a long, it's a long story. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when they hit me with a restraining order to try to keep me from going back in the facility. And uh, I guess I would just guide your listeners to uh, my website and to read about the story because it's very detailed and there are numerous other abuses uh, that occurred to my mother and my mother-in-law also uh, that would take me too long to even uh, explain and talk about right now. Yeah, I agree. And I so I do want to direct the listeners to www.aanhr.org. Org.org. I'll repeat that. www.aanhr.org because uh, it is a very uh, detailed explanation of everything that happened. And I can say from reading it, it's, it's unfortunately not something that is unfamiliar to me. As the listeners um, know, I've worked in over 50 uh, skilled nursing buildings. And um, while not everyone mirrors what your mother and mother-in-law experience, I certainly have seen those and others that are just as alarming. And that's why I thought it was so important to have this conversation with you on Senior Straight Talk, because people aren't aware. They don't understand what their rights are. They don't understand that they really, when when they move a loved one into a building, a lot of people think that that's kind of the end of the road and they're assuming that they are placing their loved one in the hands of others and they're going to get good care. But I tell people that, that your advocacy almost has to become more intense at that level. 
You have to be more visible, more vocal. Uh, and I don't know if people really understand that so much. How would you explain that to people? You know, uh, throughout the years uh, of my advocacy work, I have literally dealt with thousands of family members and nursing home residents who have contacted me for assistance in Arkansas and across the nation. Uh, family members and residents, uh, when they enter a facility, they are not aware of their rights, which is something that I have educated the public about for years. And that information is on our website, too. It's knowing your rights, knowing what the nursing homes are required to do to give you what you deserve as far as health care. And if you do not know what those rights are, if you do not know what the nursing homes are required to do, which most family members do not, they put their loved ones in the facility or they're in the facility and they are in a health care provider. They see nurses periodically. They see doctors and they feel like they're going to be taken care of as they're taken care of in a hospital. But that is not the case. And if you look at the government reports, the GAO reports, the Office of Inspector General reports, the Justice Department reports going back for decades, you can see that nursing homes have a history and a pattern of not following federal laws put in place to stop abuse and neglect in massive, massive numbers. Absolutely. And now uh, you were so effective in your advocacy about complaints that the um, GAO, right, the, um, the Office of the Inspector General, right? Um, yes, correct. Oh, no, that's Government the OIG. Accountability sorry. Office. Yeah, sorry. That's the OIG. Is the Government Accountability yes. Office. Sorry. Um, right. They... Right. Um, they agreed to put on the the website uh, complaints against nursing homes so that when people go to research a nursing home, they would see the complaints that have been lodged against a particular nursing home. So can you talk about how they would find that a little bit or how that came to be? Because they asked you to be their spokesperson. Isn't that correct? Correct. Uh, it was around in the year 2000. Uh, on the CMS website, they did have it's www.medicare.gov, Nursing Home Compare. Uh, you had in the year 2000 and before, you could go into that website and pull up the inspection reports that were done annually, which were required by federal law annual surveys every nine to 15 months were required by federal law. Those surveys, which are really investigations into whether or not the nursing homes are following the federal laws, were placed on the website, uh, the CMS website. Now, there's another kind of investigation and survey that was also done, and that was a complaint. That meant between the annual survey any resident, family member, or uh, anyone that called with a complaint of abuse and neglect and a misappropriation of funds would call the same, the number, the oversight agency, and file a complaint. 
Well, if those complaints were substantiated, those complaints were not going on the website. Hmm. Again, annual investigations were complaints in between those annual investigations were not put on the website. And those could be hundreds of pages of abuse and neglect that the investigators found that the family members never saw. So when I investigated my mother's nursing home, I thought I pulled up a facility that had a good rating and a good history and a good pattern of care. Mm -hmm. Come to find out that was not the case. Uh, When I started seeing the problems in the facility, I started doing more research and found out that there were complaint investigations that I was not aware of. So I started downloading and pulling up and SOIing hundreds and hundreds of complaint surveys that were done in the state of Arkansas. I sent those complaint surveys and talked to the director of the GAO investigations and informed him that this was a part of the system that was broken because these abuse and neglect uh, deficiencies that were found, violations of the law, were never made public. So the public had no idea the true care that these facilities were being uh, given their loved ones. Right. So, uh, yes. And through my complaint, uh, the complaint investigations I sent them, the hundreds I sent them, they agreed. They looked at it and they started researching nationwide and found that it was a huge problem and uh, that it needed to be exposed. So it was put on the website also so family members could get a more accurate picture of the type of care and the history of care that the nursing homes were given. So, um, I mean, you are, uh, you're my hero, I have to say, because I really believe that one person can make a difference and you certainly have. Thank you. In, in, in this whole process. And uh, by the way, before we go further, I just wanted to um, inform the listeners that AANHR, do you want to tell them what that stands for? Because it's an incredible organization, but even though it's only in the state of Arkansas, you really do address issues nationwide. So do you just want to say what, what that stands for? Yes, that stands for the Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents. You're very correct when you say I work nationwide. Uh, I've worked, uh, as I said, with the GAO, the Government Accountability Office. I worked with uh, I work with state uh, attorney general Medicaid fraud units. I've worked with the Office of Inspector General and uh, and FBI. Uh, I've worked with Kaiser. Uh, Family Foundation, USA Today, ProPublica, Ladies Home Journal did an in-depth article on the death of my mother in 2006. And I've worked with Consumer Reports, uh, Centers for Public Integrity, and uh, there's many more. I believe that the one way to stop the abuse and neglect and to expose the crisis in our nation's nursing home is through homes is through the media. Uh, I get calls. I've been doing this work for almost 30 years, so I am out there. So I get calls from all over the United States, from different reporters, different journalists, uh, and some 
family members, most importantly. Mm-hmm. I deal with calls from families all over the United States. They could be anywhere from, uh, my. I found my loved one in the floor, what do I do? So I will stay on the phone and work the family member through that. Uh, I guess uh, during COVID, one of the first cases I got was from the husband of a wife that was in a nursing home in Fort Smith. He calls me on a Sunday afternoon and said, uh, Miss Deaver, uh, I don't know what to do. He said, I just got a call from the emergency room. My mother, uh, my, my wife is in the nursing home, Methodist Health and Rehab. He said, she's in there for rehab and I'm supposed to, she's supposed to get out of rehab in a couple weeks. Because of COVID, I haven't been able to go in, but I just got a call from the hospital saying that she wasn't going to survive because they found ants inside of her and outside of her. She died a few days later. Uh, it was written about, and that article is also on our website. I also uh, share that article on Twitter and on Facebook. That's just one of thousands. You know, and I'm, I'm not, not to interrupt you, but I'm sorry to say that I have not seen ants. I've seen maggots. And maggots? I have seen and I recently heard of a, a place, although the, it, the place is in receivership, um, that has cockroaches in various food items. So, I mean, yes. people, people would be appalled uh, to know these things, uh, but they should know these things, I firmly believe. And um, that it's not only the media but I really believe that it's when people will say, you know, it, from the movie, uh, the film Network, um, when he says at the end, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. I really mm-hmm. believe that it's we need a groundswell of people who will stand up and say, this is not acceptable. I won't accept this for my loved ones or for myself. There are 10,000 people a day turning 65 between now and 2034. And um, as you and I know, now we, we talked earlier and I uh, didn't have time to look at the specific, look up the specific article, but I know the general numbers. Uh, first of all, uh, about 70% of people over the age of 65 will spend at least one day in a nursing home, whether they realize it or not. It could be for short-term rehabilitation. Um, but besides that, uh, uh, approximately the, the last article I had read, I think it was that 40% of Medicare beneficiaries who enter a nursing home will experience uh, a good percentage of them. I think it was up to 30% of them will experience some type of harm in the first 30 days. And of that harm, 25% is serious, some of which results in death. So this is, this is uh, these are enormous numbers and the, the effect of this on, I'm 69, but I, I believe that anybody, well, anybody, because there are people who have grandparents and, and older loved ones in nursing homes, but there are people in nursing homes who are younger than 65, younger than 50 uh, for a variety of reasons. And this really has to be called out and something has to be done. But we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk. 
I'm here with Martha Diva. I'm so thrilled to be talking with her. And we'll come back with you on Senior Straight Talk, sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Martha Deaver, who is my hero because of her decades of advocacy for nursing home residents to receive better care, starting with her own mom and mother-in-law. But, uh, you know, we started talking about people uh, having to be aware of their rights and and being able to advocate based on their awareness of those rights. But people are are reluctant. They're afraid because they think there'll be repercussions. Uh, What do you say to people who would say that? I say it's true. Uh, You have to be very cautious of how you address the issue. You have to be aware of where to go. Uh, first, you address the issue with the uh, lead nurse, and then if you do not get the proper results, then you go to the administrator. If you do not get the proper results, then you immediately file a complaint with the state oversight agency. Uh, now, when you, when you do that, uh, you know, it's supposed to be confidential, but it is very easy for the nursing home to know uh, who filed the complaint when they start asking for specific patient records when they come in to do the investigation. So this is what I tell. And I deal with a lot of residents, but I deal with more family members. So this is what I say to the family members, that I explain to them, what the complaint is that they've discussed with me and how to address it and how to file it with the oversight agency. Many times I will file the complaint for them if they want me to. Long story short, I tell them, you have the choice. You can allow the neglect and abuse to continue right under your watchful eyes, or you can file a complaint and the chances of them coming in and investigation and investigating properly are higher than than you might think. But they do not always end up investigating the complaint to the benefit of the resident. Long story short, I said, but when all is said and done, 
and your loved one is no longer with you, you know that you have done all you can do to protect your loved one. As you know, Phyllis, there are thousands of pages of congressional reports and OIG reports documenting the failures of the oversight agency. Absolutely. That's why your listeners might say, well, what is she talking about? Well, you know, uh, an investigative report just came out this year, and uh, an in-depth investigative report that was so harmful to our, to our federal government, who is over the state oversight agency, CMS, that CMS came out and said, we're going to improve. But that does not change the fact that for years, these oversight agencies have been investigated by the Congress, by the Office of Inspector General, and by the Justice Department. The combination of those investigations have been they are a failure and not able to protect the residents. I agree. So, 150%. Uh, you know, I, I've seen many situations where... Uh, a nursing home was in 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 survey uh, receiving their annual survey many times over the years many 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 I've been in over 50 nursing homes and you wonder how the Department of Health can leave without citing any deficiency first of all no place is perfect so that's ridiculous in and of itself that, so that is already raises eyebrows, but I certainly have been in places and know of places even recently where the staff members were shocked that the Department of Health did not find anything worthy of mention or concern when they themselves knew that there was a lot going on there that would be red flags, thought they would even wind up, you know, with, with serious deficiencies. So it, it gives one pause as to how that agency actually functions. Okay. Well, if you look at some of the latest reports and the New York Times did an amazing investigation into this issue and uh, it's, it's, it's out there and you can find it. And it's the failure of CMS, the federal arm of the government that oversees Every single state agency that they were covering up and hiding the most egregious and serious violations were being hidden, okay? So all I can say to you is this. There's probably not anyone in the United States that has filed more complaints or dealt with more complaints than I have. No, uh, nursing homes can't, ex can't be expected to be perfect. But when you deal with the massive number of cases that I deal with every year, and you see the percentages that are just pure blatant abuse and neglect, then you have a whole different outlook on, on the system. You know, let's, let's just talk about what the massive over 140,000 deaths 
during COVID. I was called March 20th by reporters all across the country and said, uh, Ms. Deaver, what do you think is going to happen with COVID? And I said, there's going to be a massacre. Right. Now, you remember the first thing the federal government came out and said in March is that our number one priority are going to be our most vulnerable citizens, which are nursing home residents. And then they turned around and they gave and protected nursing homes with waivers. Right. They watered down the staffing laws. They watered down the care plan laws. They watered down the uh, three-day rule for hospitals to keep a resident before they can be admitted into a nursing home. They cut that down to two in order to get COVID patients out of the hospital 24 hours early, which you can imagine uh, the outcome of that. Right. You know, the bottom, the, the bottom line is this. Also, 2020 in May, May 2020, a congressional report came out using the data from these surveys and from the government website. It showed that 82% of our nation's 15,000 nursing homes, 82%, had been cited for failure to follow infection control laws. One half of those had been cited repeatedly. Is it any surprise that over 140, 150, the numbers are higher, of our most frail and vulnerable citizens who were at the mercy of their caregivers died? And then another report came out, GAO report came out, saying 65 to 67% of the, co the nursing home residents that were infected with COVID were infected by the employees. Well, yes, tie it back to the 82% that had been cited for failure to follow infection control laws. Right. The infection control laws were not followed. There but was a massacre. Not only that, uh, at one point, uh, it was, I believe, a guideline or the nursing homes that I know had an infection control preventist or person in charge uh, full time, but that was watered down uh, tremendously. It became a part-time person. Then it became a person that might also have other responsibilities in the nursing home. And I, exactly. can, I can tell you stories that I've experienced from people who were the infection control person that were horrific, things that were said directly to me, things that I've seen that were unbelievable. So this is also, this was also part and parcel of the problem. It wasn't only the PPE. It wasn't only that workers had to work multiple job, jobs at different buildings. There's much more to it than I think people realize. Um, I just want to go back to uh, a minute what, when I asked you in the beginning about people feeling there will be repercussions. But it's, it, yes, that is true, that they feel that way. And, and it's up to them to figure out a way to negotiate the process and be aware of repercussions also and what to do if that happens. But I think sadly, um, my experience has been that everyone does not know that there is even an ombudsman in a building. I was in a building uh, exactly right. years ago, there was a resident 
And I advised her. I, she hadn't been taken out of bed for days. She was in her 50s, if I remember correctly. I, I forgot the reason she was in the building. That's not important. And I advised her to, um, to call the um, administrator, who I knew from someplace else, to call the administrator's office and say that she'd like to see him because she tried everything else and nothing worked. And I also gave her, uh, told her about calling the ombudsman. Of, she did not know there was an, this was a very alert, verbal, aware person. She had no idea what an ombudsman was, what the number was. People are supposed to be given that information upon admission. I suggested to her that then she called the administrator's office and suggest that she'd like to see him before she put in a call to the state because she was getting nowhere. And she called the uh, office and um, I happened to ask the, uh, the administrator's assistant uh, a day or two later and she told me that he sent the social worker up to talk with her. Um, he, didn't, he didn't want to um, have that interaction. And um, it went on and on and on. She finally did call an ombudsman. I believe she did find, wind up calling the state but she had no idea what procedure to follow. Nobody had ever told her about an ombudsman. She didn't know about any Department of Health. She didn't know about anything. And I think that- And that's what I do. Let right. me say this, that's what I do. When I'm called from any state in the United States, first thing I do is give them the link to their state ombudsman and the regional ombudsman. Then I give them their state oversight agency. And right. then I give them the Medicare fraud attorney general abuse and neglect unit who investigate abuse and neglect in nursing homes, too. I actually have every state on our website. I actually have every state oversight agency, ombudsman program statewide, all 50, and also Medicaid fraud units. You are very right. I have talked to thousands of family members throughout the years and given them this information. And uh, when I work with reporters, I make sure reporters have this information. Uh, I can't tell you how many journalists, for lack of better words, that I've educated about state and federal laws. You know, when, when you think, I, I, I'm going to go back to young people. I have dealt with 17-year-old gunshot victims. I have dealt with 18-year-old and 20-year-old car accident victims. I have dealt with diving victims. I dealt with a young man about five years ago that was actually shot walking home from school. Every single one of these cases are documented, and what happened to them is documented. There, you don't go home when you have a catastrophic injury. You go into a nursing home. Right. Very few people can be cared for in a home setting, no matter how much the state waiver may pay for the state to come in and assist. And so I do want to focus on also let you know how many young people are, are in these facilities. And, uh, you know, going back, just 
going, let me, let me go. I, mean, I know I'm all over the place, but. No, uh, it's fine. You know, it's absolutely fine. And I, I'm glad you're going here with the, the people that are of a younger age, because as I said earlier, there are people that are younger in nursing homes that people don't realize. And I'm just going to interject. It's, it's that from a hospital, they transition to a short-term rehabilitation unit because that's where they get the intense rehab. Not everybody can get that rehab once they're home. So I'm glad you brought that up, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, uh, I want to go back to COVID for a minute. Uh, And first, let me say something about the ombudsman. Most people don't know that ombudsmen are not mandated reporters of abuse and neglect. Correct. They're not mandated reporters. And, uh, you know, the ombudsman program, just like any kind of uh, oversight program or program out there, there's good and there's bad. Uh, You know, the bottom line is educating the residents and their family members that there are oversight agencies and where to go to get help and know also that, you know, there are advocates out there that can even give you more information than any oversight agency Absolutely. can give Absolutely. And will give you more. Uh, I just want to interject something. Um, a, a colleague, friend, of somebody I met in the last several months, um, I told you the story earlier. So I, I, I kind of hope you don't mind. I kind of want to tell the story a little bit here. So this is a person I met at an event, a business event, having nothing to do with anything to do with the the healthcare system or anything. It was a business event. And I'm sitting and talking with this person. And uh, what do you do? What do you do? And I said what I did in my specialty for many years was working with people who are ventilator dependent and who have tracheostomy tubes and respiratory conditions. And I've developed many clinical programs over the years. It's really my passion. So when I told him, he said, oh, his cousin had been in a car accident a few months, uh, several months before. It was in a coma for several months. I think he said up to six months. And now was in a nursing home and has stayed on the other side of the country from where we were and had a tube uh, in his throat to breathe. He didn't know what it was called at the time. But um, and um, so I started asking him questions. What was his cousin? He hadn't seen him in a while, but his cousin was in his, uh, I think in his twenties. So he was in a nursing home. And the following day, he asked me if I would get on a call with his cousin's parents and have a conversation with them. And uh, I asked them many, many questions. Of course, I didn't see uh, his cousin. So it's not like I was diagnosing. I don't want anybody to think I was diagnosing him. But based on the information they gave me, I told them what I thought the services he should be getting and what he was entitled to. Um, They took the information. And this goes back to what we said about people understanding what their rights are. And several weeks later, I spoke with him and asked him if his cousin's parents, his aunts and uncle had pursued any of this information. And it's what he said to me was they were afraid because they had this impression that if they made too much quote unquote noise, they would tell them that they had to take their son out of this nursing home and they weren't able to care for him at home. So that's, it's a serious problem about people feeling, uh, people not knowing, and then people feeling 
that they don't have any recourse. I did tell them about the ombudsman in the state they were in, but people are even afraid to pursue that. And I, I want to say one thing about that. You tell me if you agree with this statement that ombudsmen walk a fine line in a way because they are there for the residents, but they also have to walk a fine line with the administration of a building. What do you think about that? They're not supposed to walk a fine line with the administration of the building. I know that. They, their sole purpose is to protect the rights of nursing home residents. But too many times, I'm incensed that too many times, I get calls from family members telling me that the ombudsman did not do their job. Right. I know when they explain to me, what the ombudsman did after they contacted them and asked for help, I know when they've done their job and when they haven't and that they got no assistance. Now, I can tell you that because there's probably no one that deals with family members more than anyone in the, in the United States more than I do. You know, the, retaliation. Right. You know, the 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 retaliation and someone coming to you and saying that that works for the nursing home saying all right i'm tired of dealing with you i'm tired of you filing complaints get your loved one out well now wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute right there is a federal law right that's called it's an involuntary discharge you have to be given in writing not the family member the nursing home resident in writing a 30-day notice, but then after that 30 days, they have a right to a hearing. Correct. Okay. So, very, I can't tell you how many family members have called me and told me, well, we left this nursing home because they kicked us out. And I, and I say, you know, well, let me just explain to you exactly what your rights were. And if you go and when you go into another nursing home that you need to know your rights or call me. Right. Call right. me. But there, there is a required 30 day in, it has to be in writing notice. Correct. To that resident. And it does not apply to anything the family member did. Nothing the family member did. It only applies to the resident. Correct. So there, yeah, very, very few, uh, very few family members, just like when I started out 25, 30 years ago, have a clue of where to go, what to do, what the nursing home's required to do. And too many times a nursing home is so aware of how to manipulate the family members. Oh, the absolutely. So this same person, interestingly enough, just several weeks ago, we were on a call and he happened to mention to me that his mother was in the hospital as a result of a heart attack. And then a number of other things happened. And um, as a result, uh, she had to be transitioned to a short-term rehabilitation uh, setting because she couldn't go home in the state that she was. Well, I spent... I don't know, maybe an hour and a half on the phone with him, giving him a lot of information, a lot of information, questions to ask, questions specific to the condition that he said his mother had and how certain things would be important to be in place in order to address those issues. Well, 
she she did transition to a nursing home. They're happy with the place that she went. But he said to me, had he not talked to me and got some of that very, very, very specific information, he um, he would have no idea. They'd be lost. They'd go on a website, see stars. That's a whole other mm-hmm. thing, the star rating system, right? And just, right. just go by that. And uh, unfortunately, people get, they, they have no other recourse. I tell people to plan by choice, not by crisis. Don't wait until this crisis hits, especially if you have a parent that's older, not saying that it can't happen to a younger person, but especially if you have a parent that's older, do your due diligence, get information beforehand in the area where you live or the area surrounding where your loved one lives, so that when this happens, you already have a basis of information, a foundation. I don't know if people know this. You can go to a hospital discharge planner, a social worker, and tell them you have, you've investigated five nursing homes, and these are the only places you'd like, like your loved one to go. Rank them in order, one to five. Uh, you know, hopefully they will have, most places will have at least a bed uh, that's available, at least one, if not more, especially now. So I don't know if people are aware that they can do that, but they should be doing that. Don't you agree? Well, let me say, well, Phyllis, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Hospital social workers and case manager and discharge planners are required to give the patient a list of nursing homes. They're required to do that. Correct. Some do, some don't. Some yeah. call me, family members call me and say, I've got this list. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Huh. So I start doing research on the nursing homes. I do that all the time. Right. Because I've been doing this so long, I can go back and I can get a nursing home, the best of the worst facility, and a family member in a nursing home residence town where they want to be, where they want to be, I can get the best, let's say there's usually three or four choices, I can give you the best of the worst. And, you know, family members and don't have a clue of where to even start. The five-star rating system is a failure. You're exactly right. So, you know, the bottom line is this. The nursing home residents and the family members are at the mercy of these facilities that give billions and billions of dollars in lobbying money every year. Correct. Now, when we talk about that, we talk about why changes are never made year after year after year, even though there's decades of data showing these nursing homes are abusing and neglecting our most vulnerable citizens too many times, not all the time, but too many times the data does not lie. And that the oversight agencies are not able to protect them. There are at least 30 to 40 congressional reports that have details about the failure of the oversight agency. So, you know, I'm saying that to let you know that family, I pray for more advocates, but it is not an easy job to do. My work has always been voluntary. I don't answer to anybody. Uh, hmm. But the bottom line is this. Family members 
and residents need all the information that they can get when they're putting a loved one in a nursing home or when they're going into a nursing home. That's my objective by dealing with the hundreds of reporters that I deal with every single year. Get the information out there through the media to educate the public. That's how people find me. That's how people learn. And it is a sad commentary that it took the worst, one of the worst pandemics and one of the worst crises in the history of our nursing homes, COVID-19, to shine a light, a brighter light on the atrocities and the abuse and the neglect and the failure of these facilities not to do the most basic health care, infection control, infection control. So many lives could have been saved. The bottom line is educating the public, learning from this horrific crisis, God help us, that one of the largest group of people that died were those in our nursing homes and assisted living facilities that were at the mercy of their caregivers who did not have investigators, weren't going in, families who are their advocates were banned, ombudsmen were kicked out. Do I have to say much more? Anybody that is really interested in this issue can find the data, can find the reports, can find the articles. It's out there if this is something you want to deal with. It's not for the faint of heart. I agree 500%. And I, I just I just want to go back to something that you said about uh, people getting lists of nursing homes from from hospitals or dis hospital discharge planners, social workers. So I want to just say two things about this. In this particular case, uh, my friend did get a list of 25 nursing homes. Where does a person start? As I say, planning by choice, not by crisis. You know, very often a hospital will tell a family or, or, or a spouse or whoever it is, well, we're going to discharge your loved one within two days. I mean, that's no time to go through a list of 25 places. That's why I say if people do this ahead of time and at least get five places that in, in a surrounding area, that would be helpful to them. But 25 is, I mean, you don't even know, you don't even know where to start. And I, I just want to tell a little story about something that happened uh, several years ago. My daughter's friend, uh, my daughter uh, said to me that her friend's father had cancer. And obviously, this just happened out of the blue and wound up uh, in the hospital getting radiation. And as a result, uh, he couldn't, um, they had to insert a trach tube. He couldn't breathe and a feeding tube because he couldn't eat, right? And so mm -hmm. he had to um, go to a short-term rehabilitation situation. We didn't know if he'd be able to go home, but at least for the immediate following the hospital discharge. So my daughter asked me to speak with uh, his daughter, my daughter's friend. I said, of course. So after I went through the series of questions and understood what his condition was, because he has a trach tube, that's a specialty of mine. So she told me at the end that the social worker from the hospital told her to go to, and this was a very well-known hospital in um, New York, uh, told mm -hmm. her to go X to XYZ nursing home. 
um, because it had five stars. So I told her at the beginning of the conversation that I really wouldn't tell her where to go or where not to go. But what I would do is arm her with information and questions so that she could ask the appropriate questions, and then make those decisions for herself. But when she told me the place that the social worker at the hospital suggested, which was five stars, I said to her, I reminded her that I told her I wouldn't tell her where to go or where not to go because people have gone to buildings that I think are terrible and wind up with a wonderful experience. So who am I to say? Mm -hmm. But I did tell her not to go to that building because they knew nothing about taking care of patients with trachs. I worked in that building many, many years ago, know the ownership of that building. And I unfortunately wouldn't put a pet in there. So yes. now you're at the mercy. And I'm not saying that the hospital social worker probably is a well-intentioned person. They maybe looked on no. the website and saw facilities in that area where the person lived or the, the family lived that were five stars and made that recommendation. But also I want to point out that some people in hospitals do have kind of cozy relationships with owners, yes. uh, with administrators yes. and, and nursing homes. And so sometimes their, your loved one's best interest isn't uh, at the top of the list. Correct. That right. is a fact. And right. I have found that out. Right. Uh, you know, uh, w w again, just last week, uh, I was contacted by a family member whose loved one was being released from the hospital and put into a nursing home. And they said, uh, Miss Eber, we want to send you the three, the, the three nursing homes that the hospital recommended. And when she sent me the list of those three nursing homes, I was incensed because mm -hmm. I knew they were some of the worst nursing homes in the state of Arkansas. I knew, I knew their history. So, you know, I was able to make sure she got into a better facility that I knew would give uh, the care more than likely. You know, I'm like you. I never say 100%. I give them the best advice I can, the best nursing home that I know about after doing my research. And then I say, don't ever think that you're not going to have issues. Don't right. ever think that you're not going to have issues. But here is my phone number. Now, I will deal with family members sometimes for two or three, one time, 10 years. They will periodically call me. This happened today. What do I need to do? So I have longstanding relationships and have been blessed with having long-standing relationships with family members and residents until the end. Uh, and one of the saddest things I deal with is when I can't protect them. And no matter what we do, no matter how many investigations are done, their loved one dies from abuse. And I never forget it. And I remember every single case. And it is something that no American citizen should have to witness as often as I have witnessed. I, I agree with you 500%. And before we end, I just want to say that uh, not only do I, uh, is my, this, the, my experience with my grandmother, I think the through line to me working in nursing homes, but 
And I wrote about this in a, in a story that I have. Um, I think I wrote about it in my last book, but I also have a chapter that came out in a book on Tuesday called Think Big. And I wrote about it. Uh, I think I wrote about it there. Um, so I was working in a nursing home uh, many years ago. This was in the uh, late 1990s, I think, uh, that I this happened. And I came to this particular nursing home had a vent unit. And I came to the rehabilitation department and I said to the, uh, I said to some colleagues, they're going to kill somebody here. And the rehab di director said to me, um, she overheard it and she blasted me, rightfully so. And she said, well, Phyllis, you have a decision to make. Either you're going to be part of the solution or part of the problem. And I never forgot it. And from that moment on, I always was an outspoken advocate in many different areas in my life. But from that moment, I decided that that was the course that I had to take, even when I worked in a nursing home. So as I've said before, sometimes they see me coming and they say, an administrator will say, I like, what is she still doing here? Why do I have her here? Even though it's for my clinical, you know, expertise, sure. but I'm always advocating for something better, whether it's a, a program, care, food, whatever it is. And we didn't even get into the food issue. I don't even want to talk about that because it's horrendous. Well, let me say this about what you just said, because I admire you for that. I have dealt with numerous whistleblower nurses, administrators, CNAs throughout the years, numerous. And I admire what you just told me greatly because there are not enough people out there that are willing to do what you just described. I agree because you know what most people tell me? Either they shrug their shoulders and say, what can we do? Or they'll say, I've been talking about it for years. There's nothing that changes. So what the heck? I just do my job. And right. I but that dog that. doesn't, that, yes. And that dog doesn't hunt. Right, I, I agree. And, and let me say this. The Ladies Home Journal article about the death of my mother has numerous stories about retaliation against family members nationwide. So uh, it was the largest article the Ladies Home Journal ever wrote. But it went, since we're talking about retaliation, and we're talking about retaliation also against employees, because it's a miracle that you have not been retaliated against. <laughs> but the Ladies Home Journal article talks about retaliation. And uh, let me just say this, too. Um, you know, since I talked to you at about 11 o'clock, I got a phone call from New York. Uh, I'm actually the advisor to Voices for Senior with over 5,000 members made up of COVID families that died when Governor Cuomo put the 9,000 patients into New York nursing homes. I'm the advisor for that organization. And I got a call from them in between our last conversation. And it was actually a call about a family member who was in, the, in a facility in New York and the assemblyman had contacted us. And they couldn't get anything done. The resident was dehydrated, malnourished, and needed help, and they told them to get them out if they didn't like it. So, you know, I mean, that's how often I get phone calls. I won't go into details because of confidentiality, 
you know, or anything else. But just in that short period, Phyllis, I got a phone call from New York. Uh, so, uh, you know, all I can hope for is that these podcasts, uh, the journalists that I work with, and uh, people like you help get the word out there because education is power. I agree. So before we I sign off, uh, can you just please uh, give the your contact information if anybody needs or wants to reach out to you? And um, how would they reach you personally? Or uh, we said the website is www.aanhr.org. Uh, but is there any other information that you want people to have? Well, uh, they can also, uh, on there is my phone number. Uh, they can email me through our website, or they can email me through Martha Dever at aanohr.org. I also have no problems with giving my phone number, 501. 501- Five four eight eight four two three. Uh, my phone number is like I said. It's also uh, on our website. I just started doing Twitter a few months ago, and uh, could kick myself for not doing it earlier. Uh, just because I'm able to reach so many people, and my Twitter account is Martha Dever at Dever underscore Martha. I think that's how we met, Phyllis. I was just going to say that is exactly how we met. I've been um, tweeting and and I'm getting more visibility and more responses. And you responded to one of my tweets and gave me your phone number. And I can't be more thrilled that you did. I'm just so proud that you did, to be honest. So this is just absolutely fantastic. Thank you you very much. It means that means a lot. And uh, I take it to heart. Well, it, it, I'm very proud that you, I want you to know that before, in, after we got off the phone and before this, I text two colleagues and told them uh, that you reached out to me, that I had this conversation. They were just thrilled because they know how frustrated Thank I've you. been in trying to, oh, yeah. you know, become more visible and more vocal about, I mean, not become more vocal, but become more visible about what I'm vocal about, about this entire horrible situation. And I started out, you know, with the purpose of informing people. And I'm so glad to have met you because you are really walking the walk that I've been wanting to do. So this is just the best for me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. When you go to our website, please tap on to about the president, read, read uh, the FBI press release about my work read the Ladies' Home Journal article, but most importantly, read Who Will Stop the Massacre, the details of an absorbent amount of abuses that I never mentioned that occurred to my mother and mother-in-law, including putting restraining orders trying to stop me. So uh, please, please do that and read my bio- the information just so you know that there is somebody out there that has been working for decades and that truly, truly does care and can not be stopped. Oh, I love that. So uh, uh, we, we share that passion because, uh, you know, even sometimes when I get discouraged, if I'm in a building and I say, oh, I'm 
discouraged. I can't do this anymore. Why am I doing this? But, you know, maybe that that's, you know, a, an hour of frustration or an afternoon of frustration. But the next bat, the next day is like getting back on the horse because how could you let this go by and, and not stand up for what you know is right? And um, right. And people, I wish there were more people out there like you. That's oh, true. Thanks so much. So thanks for taking the time today and for listening today about about what we can do to make nursing homes safer and more dignified environments for our loved ones and ourselves, especially as, you know, this generation, as I said, I'm 69. And uh, as more and more of us are going to find ourselves in a nursing home, even for a short period of time, uh, for short term rehabilitation, we need to know what to expect and what we're entitled to. And we deserve the best care we can receive. So please join me. on. Please note note this. On my website, I have an enormous amount of resources and links and information that you cannot get anywhere else in one place. Please look and research my website. I also have numerous COVID articles and data and reports underneath our COVID tab. So please go to our website. I've got a bibliography of congressional reports going back 30 years about the nursing home industry uh, and the failure of the oversight agency. So please know there is so much information on our website that, that I hope and I pray uh, will help people. Thanks so much. So please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And this is Phyllis Amon signing off. Thrilled to be here today with Martha Beaver. And please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.